Welcome to the Enlightened Practice Podcast, brought to you by the Luminello Electronic Medical Record folks. Here are your hosts, Dr. Ken Braslow and Dr. Carrie Kagan. Hi, Carrie. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Ken. Thanks for having me. So today we have some questions from uh, our listeners about location and office area, office considerations when you're thinking about starting your practice. And I'm assuming this is applying to physical location now that some of us, hopefully all of us, will have the option soon enough to be back in person physically. How do you think about uh, emerging from your home office uh, or other location uh, where you're doing video? And then the next step in that is when you're signing a lease or a sublease, uh, what should you be thinking about? And how do you... um, how do you make a decision uh, based on the terms of the contract? So let's start off with um, location, 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 right? As they say, uh, I think that applies not just to home values, but also to running a, a viable practice and being in a location that's attractive. Even if you're going to do some video from your office, uh, I, many of my patients have articulated to me that they're excited about being back in the office physically. And that's going to be really important, especially in our field. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely. curious how you chose your first location and um, you know, what you were thinking about and in general, what we do advise our listeners to be thinking about. Yeah, it's such a, Good question. Um, and it, it definitely has changed for me over time. But how I chose my first location was all with like a business mindset. So where could I uh, start a practice that I felt I was most accessible to the most people? Um, and that was a priority over um, more like personal considerations, like distance from home and that kind of stuff. So based on that, where I chose to be was in the heart of San Francisco at the time, um, because that was where there were a lot of people and also where there was uh, a lot of public transportation. So um, that felt like the best place to get started, to get the most amount of clients, to just be around the most amount of people, as opposed to, for example, the suburbs. Um, And, you know, just because that actually meant making more of like a sacrifice in my personal life. Like I had more of a commute Um, for people who might be worried about that. It was also possible to transition closer to home after I was more established. So I, that was a, um, a consideration. Like once you lay down your roots, are you stuck there forever? And I think the answer is no, but yes, it can be challenging. Um, But especially with, uh, more video these days and a little bit more flexibility, I do think. And even before the pandemic, I made the shift closer to home, which happened to be in the suburbs. Um, and I was surprised, first of all, that the number of people that I was seeing in the city before were actually willing to commute to me in a different location or willing to do video as I built in the new location. So it didn't actually result in any client loss that I can recall. So just for people who are worried that they might get stuck in case it's not their dream location, it is possible to transition. It's a great point or, and, or to have two offices. Uh, yeah. That's um, 
a lot more to think about logistically and in terms of your schedule and hours, but it opens up a second uh, population and you could use that to springboard to eventually having your second office become your primary office uh, down the road. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to be where the action was. So uh, downtown San Francisco as well. And in my practice, what I realized was that um, it was not as convenient for kids and families to come in, even though there was public transportation, uh, families were more reluctant to come downtown. And so I looked to, that is when I set up a second office closer to where I was living. That was in a little bit more of a suburban area. And that was uh, actually a really nice combination. And for a while I was going into uh, the city in the morning and then on my lunch break, I would take the train out to my afternoon office and see kids and families. So that that worked out pretty well. And I've used that model uh, up until the pandemic for quite some time. And it is a nice blend, even though it was a little bit more um, cost and a little bit more um, having to think through logistics. But I was able to typically sublet out my the office that I had a lease on and then I to be a subletter on the office that I was subletting. So I wasn't stuck with two leases. And so I don't think yeah. the cost came out to be significantly more. And it really allowed me to have a real dynamic practice. Um, I would say in general, what um, if you're starting thinking about a new location, you should be thinking about um, not just public transportation, but parking also, uh, mm-hmm. as that's really meaningful. People can't get to you. They can see you on video, but they if they want somebody in person, then that's not going to work. I think thinking about um, what is the, like for kids and families, what are the parents going to do? Uh, while they're seeing, while you're seeing their kid, is there a coffee shop around? Is it a nice area where they can hang out? And that's that is m- meaningful to if you can get a location with a Starbucks right nearby it. Yeah. Um, I'll tell parents go go get some coffee, and I'll see you in 45 minutes. Um, right. I would also say you have to think about the waiting room situation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all I've seen people literally put a chair out in the hallway. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. I've seen that. Too. That's definitely cost efficient, but it. I don't know. If that's the best experience for being a patient to be kind of in a chair in the middle of the hallway, um, mm-hmm. and you know maybe some HIPAA considerations there. So um, right. I wouldn't recommend that. But waiting rooms are square footage, just like an office is. So. Typically, it's folded into the cost, or you'll pay extra. And you know, can you go? Can you share that cost with multiple therapists in the the location I was at? It was like a colony of therapists, and so six of us went in on a waiting room that was a small office, and so really brought the cost down and made it quite efficient. Right. Um, so, Carrie, you had a couple of factors that you were thinking about. Um, that, um, yeah, more important also. Yeah. 
And when you were just talking about the the cult that you were in a building where there was a colony of therapists, I think that does should be a consideration as who else is in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, I think it actually is nice, especially if you're in private practice where you're alone a lot of the time uh, with your clients, it can be nice to be in a building with other therapists that you can befriend and they can become colleagues and people that you consult with. So I do think it, you know, there, in my experience, there have somehow buildings have evolved into like hubs of therapists. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it happened, yeah. but it, it happened. Well, we're good tenants. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. um, and that's always been nice. Like it gives you this sense that you're not alone. And so I think, you know, something to consider is who else is in the building or the area or the street or whatever it is. Um, and yeah, I, and uh, another thing that um, I've had different experiences with is, is just accessibility to the office. I've had offices with and without elevators and obviously just depending on the population you work with that should that's a pretty important consideration and i will say when i had an office without an elevator it was actually pretty problematic um like i would find myself having to tell every single new client by the way i don't have an elevator um and sometimes yeah it actually was a problem for whatever reason so if you can avoid it i would say if having a, a accessible office is probably the most inclusive, but um, sometimes it just doesn't exist for whatever reason. Um, And then, and then, yeah, in general, especially if you're subletting uh, or even leasing, just considering the general, like either if you're subletting the decor of the office and if that fits your your energy as a therapist and the, what you want to put out there to, to um, the clients that you'll be seeing. But sometimes even the building in general can have its own vibe and it either works for you or it doesn't. And it sounds silly, but it's, you know, it's kind of like a home away from home. So it, it, you do want to feel comfortable wherever you end up and it's worth considering what it looks like and if that works for you. Well, and it speaks, your your clients will consciously or subconsciously pick up on that and they will judge your practice by all of those um, meta um, conditions that surround their experience. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that it comes to mind is food. And um, unless you're not human and don't eat, um, you're gonna be there um, most much of your work day. And um, is there a kitchenette? Is there a way that you can um, have at least a fridge, if not a microwave or toaster oven? And, and then also to be real mindful that, um, I, I recall uh, colleagues warming up Indian food, which I love, uh, but um, the, very fragrant smell can permeate uh, different offices, even if uh, you're not the one who gets to enjoy the yummy food. So, you know, thinking about not just your own food, but your colleagues and then proximity to a bathroom. Um, So at one building I was in, I did not even consider this until I was seeing my first patient and about 10 minutes into our very deep therapy session, I heard the loudest flush ever. And I was like, okay, got it. 
that's where the bathroom is. <laughs> so right. on the flip side, right. in a different location, I was in a big office building. The bathroom was like uh, a couple football fields uh, around the corner. And so I only had five minutes in between patients and I had to sprint a little bit um, to make it back in time. So um, yeah, the, the, the human Very important thing. Yes, the human factor should not be overlooked. Yeah. Um, okay, so now let's you you found your your dream location or at least a good enough location. Um, take me through how you would approach um, the contract, uh, what you would be looking for in the lease or the sublease, and what's important to you. Yeah, I mean definitely cost. So does it you know just simply does it work for your budget? Um, yes. And uh, you know just being mindful that you don't you don't do too far of a reach because, you know, you never know in private practice, there are slower times. And I think especially early on, I would have erred more on the conservative side. Um, and then as I got further into my career, I was more willing to take some risks with the, with the cost, but something to consider is the cost and potential increases over time too. Cause at least in California, I'm pretty sure there's there is rent control, but there's also some like built in a certain percentage increase over each year, I think. And so it's something to be aware of that if you start on the higher end, it's only going to go up from there. It's never mm -hmm. going to go down, at least here in California. Mm -hmm. That's been my experience. Um, so that's one main thing. And the other the other thing I'm thinking about, too, is just the lease term and how long it is. And there's pros and cons. So there can be one-year terms, um, there could be three-year terms, five-year terms, I've seen it all. And, you know, it's on a, like the pro of a one-year term is if you find that the office just doesn't work for you, sometimes you're just trying it out. It's, you know, it's a year and you're done. The downside is then you might have to renegotiate the terms of the lease the next year as opposed to a three-year or five-year where you're kind of locked into a certain rate with very minimal increase over time. And you just get that like sense of stability or comfort in that, but it also means you're locked in. And so if you want, if you end up wanting to change locations for whatever reason, it gets more expensive and tricky. And that's a reminder of the, another thing to consider is how do you break the lease? And mm -hmm. unfortunately we all learned this in a very hard way, which is all of a sudden no one was using their offices and it was a tricky thing to navigate if you keep paying your lease or how do you get out of it? And um, that's definitely worth reviewing with any landlord to figure out how do you, what are the, what's, how do you get out of a lease if you need to and how much will that cost and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I think that makes sense. I would say on the cost front, it's, um, it can be a tricky calculation in that it's possible that by paying for a more expensive lease, you may drive your income higher if the location is that much more am amenable to yeah. clientele. But on the flip side, you don't know that until you get started. So it's a little bit of a gamble when your cash flow is lower or non-existent and you are funding your practice in the, in the first place and you want to keep your expenses as low as possible. Let's say in terms of... Um, the term, if you want a build out, so that's like somebody do um, the landlord's construction team uh, or building maintenance team getting your office um, 
change, moving the walls or getting things to um, get situated in just the way you want them, sometimes they'll be able, willing to do that and they'll bear the cost of it, but they'll never do it for a one-year lease. It typically be for at least a four or five year lease that you could get that done. So that's something to be mindful of. And I think also the ability to sublet. So most commercial leases will allow you to sublet, but you want to make sure you get that in writing. And that's um, really meaningful. If you end up wanting to uh, break away and go to another office part-time, if you can sublet yours, then that really reduces the cost and the risk in that. So any lease can be reviewed by most general uh, business attorneys. And, you know, if it's a one-year lease, is it worth paying them a couple hours? Probably. But if it's a five-year lease, it's really worth uh, paying them a couple hours because they they won't charge you per year. They'll just charge you per hour. And uh, But you're going to be locked in with those terms for a long time. And you can bet that the management has their lawyers uh, preparing their lease. So always good to um, have your own your own team to help you out. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. I think that covered those questions nicely and uh, look forward to uh, reviewing more listener questions with you soon. Thanks for coming uh, on today. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. If you liked today's podcast and want to hear more, follow us on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have a question you'd like to be discussed on a future podcast, send it to enlightenedpractice at luminello.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time.